Uh, there are passages in the Bible that uh, you come across which uh, really should be turned into movies, put into IMAX and 3D and just full of special effects and lots of opportunity uh, for uh, inspiring vision. And uh, this is one of them. It's a little passage written by the Apostle Paul in his letter to this church in Greece 2,000 years ago in Thessalonica. And um, he, he's talking about what to expect at the end of time. And uh, it's funny because you read a passage like that and you think, what relevance does that really have for me? I'm not really sitting around thinking about that much. Unless you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, which maybe you are, and they are, if Facebook's any indication, there's plenty of them around. Or perhaps you're persecuted and you're experiencing great suffering. I think those kind of people might think about the end of time. <coughs> perhaps you're close to death yourself and you're wondering what's happening next. Um, but apart from those kind of people, you're probably not thinking, oh, this is much relevance to me. But, but, if you consider for one second uh, film and television, film and television seems to, I mean, if, if you think about it, there's these Hollywood fat cats who fork out tens of hundreds of millions of dollars to make entertainment. Those guys seem to think that people are really interested in the end of time as a theme. Uh, you think back to the history of film, the first great Hollywood film made in Melbourne starring Gregory Peck was On the Beach and that is an apocalyptic film, a film about the end of time. But then you, you run forward to recent times and you've got movies like The War of the Worlds, uh, The Road, 28 Days Later, 12 Monkeys, Dawn of the Dead, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The Day After Tomorrow. You could go on and on and on, Sunshine, The Hunger Games, these themes um, of, of the end of the world. You see it in television. The Walking Dead, I think, is one of the most popular shows on television. And what's more, we, we find out, like if you, if you think about media and news media, especially social media now and the way mainstream newspapers use social media, it's very end of timesy. Like, you get uh, relentless updates about, you know, um, oh, disappearing aeroplanes and drone warfare and, you know, Ebola. Forget disaster movies, the ice caps are melting, you know. So maybe a little discussion about what the Bible says about the end of time, maybe it is of interest to us. And also, if we're to be honest with ourselves, for all of us, you know, at, at different times when we're lying in bed and looking at the ceiling, we think about our mortality, what's going to happen to us. When we die, what's happened to the other people in our lives? Now, let me just say from the outset that that sounds like a whoa, bit of a heavy topic. Um, and it is. It's important and serious, but it doesn't, I don't think that's the, the emotional goal I'm going for here this morning. Um, actually, the emotional goal is to be filled with hope and encouraged, because that's what the passage, well, that's what Paul wanted for the Thessalonian church, and that's what I want for you guys today. So there's, there's two kind of ideas that um, he sa says to them about their, their worry about what's going to happen to people who have died to them and to when Jesus returns. And the first, the first idea he says to them is this. He says, I want you to learn to grieve with a, a certain kind of Christian hope. A special kind of grief. Learn to do that. See, they've been taught by Paul, the apostle, the, the guy who'd started their church, that 
one day Jesus would return. And you've got to remember, the people in this church, uh, Jesus had lived in their lifetime and he'd died and risen in their lifetime. So the idea that he'd come back in their lifetime was perfectly logical. It could happen any moment. But they had one big concern. They were really looking forward to it, for, to it, for it to happen. But they had this one big concern, and that was, what's going to happen to all of our friends and relatives who have already died? Are they going to miss out? Now, it's perfectly normal to get really worried about death. About two weeks ago, um, Joe, my wife Joe, was driving with the boys through Preston, and Leo, our four-year-old, pointed over to the Preston Cemetery, and he said, Mummy, what's that? And uh, so Joe started explaining that when we die, it's a place that we, we, we go and people who die go to the cemetery. <laughs> and I think she quickly realised, what's he thinking? What's the four-year-old thinking? What's Leo worried about? You know, how is he going to understand this? And she, the heat, Leo got really downcast in the back seat of the car and was really worried. What do you mean? And, and he, you know, he's been to a funeral and had people he know die, but not quite, you know, it hadn't twigged for him. But now it's twigging for him. And he was starting to say things like, so, so mummy, are you going to die? Is daddy going to die? Is, you know, is Ezzy going to die? Um, you know, is Tylan, his best friend at kinder, going to die? And suddenly this, this conversation got more and more full on for him, which is totally understandable. It had dawned on him that one day we're going to die. Now, obviously, Joe didn't want Leo just to be despair, and she started talking about heaven. She talked about how, you know, my nana, who died last year, earlier before, is in heaven, and Paddy, who Leo knew, is in heaven. And this is a good thing to say to a little boy. You don't have to get too complicated with all your theology, but giving hope like this is important. And this is what Paul wants for the Christians in Thessalonica. Look at verse 13. He tries to give them hope. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He doesn't want them to grieve like people who have no hope. Now, he's not saying that it's, you're not allowed to grieve. Oh, gosh, Jesus grieved when his you know, close friend Lazarus died and Jesus found out. Jesus wept. And grief is important and normal, but it's a certain kind of grief that we're talking about here. Believers who have hope in the resurrection... Um, hope in Jesus' resurrection and in hope in their own resurrection, don't weep in the same way. Look at verse 14. Paul points us to Jesus himself. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So the Christian hope of a future bodily resurrection lies with the resurrection of Jesus himself. So what Paul is going to do here is he's not going to get into the technical details of how this is going to all work but he's talking about that it is going to happen he's, he's, he's trying to get a fact across to them an idea about how about the fact that they're going to die but Jesus um, through through Jesus they're going to rise with him there seems to be just from that verse that we've, I read out verse 14 this idea that um, when, when believers die we go to live in heaven, or be with heaven, use the language of sleep, but be with Jesus in heaven in a kind of a, a life stage, a life after death. But then, when Jesus returns one day, and this is what the question is about, the question that they're asking Paul, 
There'll be a life after life after death. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep already in him. Now this kind of teaching would have sounded strange because the surrounding pagan culture of Greece, Thessalonica, believed that death was the end and that's it, nothing else. The new atheist author, um, Sam Harris, uh, he talks a bit about death and how, how it's cold, a cold hard reality. He says, death is unacceptable. It is an astonishing fact. If we live long enough, we lose everyone we love. Uh, and he says, we don't teach people how to grieve. Religion is the antithesis of how to grieve. It's better to equip your child for the reality of this life. So, so Sam Harris would not approve of Joe's attempt to give Leo hope. When I do funerals, I can really see two different kinds of grief when someone dies. For those people who, who don't have faith in, in life after death in, and, in, and in Jesus, there's, there's a kind of a despair in the grief which lacks any kind of hope at all. You'll have two people weeping and, and mourning, but one weeping and mourning with despair and one weeping and mourning with hope. Christians who have a real trust in Jesus, they have a, a quiet joy that's at the heart of their sorrow. Paul says, don't be like the pagan culture who have no hope. Have a Christian kind of hope in what Jesus is going to do. Because you see, we're actually hope-based creatures. We're as human beings, we're, we actually are driven by hope. An illustration I heard recently, which, which I really liked. Um, so imagine this, you've got two blokes and they're the same age, the same you know, um, level of education, living in the same city. And they go, both go and work for a factory. And uh, their, their job in the factory is both to put widgets on widgets, right? And that's what they're both going to do. The first person is going to be paid $10,000 a year, and the second person is going to be paid $10 million for the year. Right? So a month goes by, and they're putting the widgets on the widgets. And the first bloke says to the second bloke, this is so boring. Oh, don't you, don't you go crazy doing this? Aren't we going to quit? We've got to leave this. This is horrible. And the second bloke says, actually, no, I'm really enjoying myself. This is really good and I'm, you know, I'm having a good time. See, they've both got the same experience but got very different anticipation for the end. What they believe about their future determines their present. We are utterly hope-based creatures. Uh, there's, a, there's an academic from Columbia who wrote this book called The Real American Dream a meditation on hope back in 99, and he said this, um, the heart of any culture is its hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days and hours if we are to keep at bay the dim back of the mind suspicion that we are adrift 
in an absurd world. What we think about our future determines our present. And as Paul argues in verse 14, we Christians get our hope from the death and resurrection of Jesus. So how do you get this hope? You get this hope from believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Then you'll have that hope. And you need to believe that the resurrection is a fact if you're going to believe in your own resurrection, future resurrection. And we don't have time this morning to get into thinking about this concept, which is contested by some, that the resurrection is a fact. Um, as, I, I, you know, as a Christian, I, I, I believe there's enough evidence to suggest that it's a fact. And in faith, I believe. Uh, historical evidence, like how do you explain the, uh, the, the emergence of the church 2,000 years ago, where um, overnight you suddenly had thousands of Jewish people converting to Christianity? Uh, you know, uh, a religion that was offended at the idea of um, a, um, a God being a human being, suddenly believing that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, this sort of thing doesn't just happen. Maybe over, over a long hundreds of years you might get incremental change and little things happening and a movement forming, but we see suddenly the church just landing thud, you know, in, in, in the Middle East 2,000 years ago and growing very rapidly. How do you explain that if uh, Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Surely there'd be enough people around saying, he didn't really rise from the dead. That's a lot of waffle, you know. There are the historical tests you could go. And we've got actually books at the back um, that you can look at. I think especially, is Andrew in the room? Where is he? Is he somewhere? There he is. The John Dixon book still there, Andrew? Is the John Dixon book still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that is a good book to have a look at if you want to think about these issues. What... Paul is talking about is believe in the resurrection, believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and if you can do that, you can believe in this idea that he's going to one day return as well. And, and the word that it uses is this kind of word parousia. Um, Jesus is going to come back and it's the word parousia, which is a word that came from um, Greek and Roman culture. And it's about the idea of a royal person or an important person coming to visit the local city and, and everyone waits excited in an excited way for the for that for that person to arrive and there's great celebration and you know when uh, queen elizabeth uh, uh came a few years ago when leo was i think one joe and i went out there and stood on uh you know swanson street and uh, saw the royal tram go past and the, the queen going like this you know and there were thousands of people there just to see you know uh her majesty uh the queen and uh but do you know what? There's a person in the room, Tom, who did the, um, the announcement, our treasurer, about the announcement about finance. I've got a photo here of Tom you can have a look at if you want. As a little boy running out Spencer Street Station to shake Lady Diana's hand. It's my visit to the Queen. That's pretty exciting. In Melbourne, we get excited about that kind of royal, but when Jesus returns... That's the ultimate royal, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And whether you're dead or you're alive now, he's going to raise you, all those who are with him. And therefore, now you can have hope for that. You, when people die, you can grieve, but grieve with hope. The second idea that um, Paul says is that with this information, you should encourage each other by talking about your future eternity with Jesus. Encourage each other. 
Now we get into the IMAX 3D section, verses 16 and 17, where um, you get all this imagery of clouds and Jesus coming in clouds and people flying in the air and trumpets and blasting and celebration. And um, what Paul the Apostle is doing is writing theologically. He's borrowing from passages from the Old Testament, Psalm 47, and, and, uh, which were written you know, about 1,000 years earlier, and Daniel 7, which was written about 400 years earlier, that all prophesied and talked about um, the psalm talks about um, God, Yahweh, ascending after he's had victory onto Mount Zion and um, the trumpets blasting at this great victory. And uh, Daniel 7 is uh, an image, uh, uh, prophetic uh, vision that um, Daniel had of this one like a son of man he called the Ancient of Days uh, who appeared. I'll just read you a bit, a bit from the passage. Daniel 7 verse 14. It, said, it says... He was given authority, this one who he's seeing the vision of. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And of course, you know that Jesus called himself the son of man, didn't he? So what, what Paul's doing here in this IMAX 3D section is he's borrowing all this imagery and he's saying, that's kind of a bit like what it's going to be like. Um, but what we're not to do is get too obsessed with kind of thinking of it in a, um, like a script, but more what it means theologically. So verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus will have the victory, and it won't be like some zombie film when the dead rise. It'll be a rejoicing, clapping, it'll be exciting. It'll be a glorious and yet mysterious resurrection. In the same way that when Jesus on Easter Day gloriously and mysteriously rose from the dead, so will all those who are in Christ. Some, some Christians in some churches in history have got really obsessed with these parts of the Bible and made a whole kind of church tradition based around flying in the air and and there's movies made about the rapture and all that stuff. That's missing the point. So when Paul continues in verse 17 and writes, After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. It's saying the parousia is going to happen, the royal, the great king is going to come, and you will rise with him and it will be a great party. So to use this hope to encourage each other, you know, I spoke at the start about why we might be fascinated with the end of the world. Perhaps it's because there's something about the way we're made, we're designed to long for this rebirth, this new future time. Much of life is like putting the widgets in the widgets, isn't it? It's repetitive and it can seem pointless. But if we have this hope, it changes everything about how we live. So stories about the apocalypse, which is what this is, you might have heard that word before, they're not really about the end. They're not really about millions of deaths you might see in a disaster film, but they're actually about the rebirth that occurs afterwards. In the Bible, Jesus' return, it's less about destruction and it's more about Christ returning to make good on his word to bring about the next era. In fact, the word um, apocalypto, where we get the word apocalypse, 
means to reveal something that's hidden. This is why Paul says to talk about it with each other and be encouraged about what is revealed. No matter what the horrors are in the news, what you, if you flick through your Twitter feed and you read about terrible things that are happening, with, no matter what difficulties you face in life, encourage each other with what Jesus is going to do in history, in the future. Just to end, like I put on the front cover a picture of James and the giant peach. And it struck me that... Um, you know, I was trying to think, how can, we, how can I reflect on this passage and the idea of the end of time and, and the apocalyptic story that we're so fascinated with in our culture and also tie that together with, you know, Jemima being baptised and I think James and the Giant Peach. It's about a four-year-old, that's close enough. And this is kind of like an apoc- apocalyptic story for kids. <coughs> I don't know if you've read Hands up, he's read it. You can see the movie if you haven't got to read it. You'll read it in about half an hour. It's pretty easy. It's about the abused four-year-old boy, James, who escapes the clutches of his cruel aunts. And um, this funny old man gives him a potion, a magic potion. But James drops it in the ground and the magic potion causes a peach tree to grow, a giant peach tree, and the giant peach to grow. And uh, James wanders into this giant peach and then meets these insects that become giant as well and he becomes friends with them. And uh, this kind of magic and this mystery, they escape the suffering and they leave the suffering behind and they go on adventures. But there's a great reveal at the end of James and the Giant Peach. They, they arrive at the magical city of Manhattan, believe it or not. <laughs> They're flying through the sky, you can see the birds carrying them. The, all the, all the, all the um, seagulls using the spider, I think the spider webs or the silkworm, I think it was, who made the, the threads. And they're flying and they actually get stuck on the top of the Empire State Building. And uh, there they are in the Emerald City, they're in the Big Apple, the place where dreams are made, you know, where the greatest city in the world. And then they go and, it's funny, the, they share the peach with all the kids and then they turn the pip into a house and they live in the Central Park. Bizarre into the story, but anyway, it's Roald Dahl. The Christian hope, it is just like James and the Giant Peach, is a hope for a greater future resurrection city. Only it's way better than New York. It's way better than Central Park living inside a giant pip. It's a future living with Jesus. So let's have hope and be encouraged. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you give us that hope. We pray that we know how to encourage each other and that when we're going through our life, perhaps putting the widgets in the widgets, that our life can be transformed by the knowledge of what you have in store for us. And we thank you that even though some of our friends and family may die, that we can have hope that, um, that you, you have them in your arms and that we can trust in you to be the righteous God the good God. Amen.